We're going to be taking the next three weeks to uh, look at the stories of what happens after Jesus' resurrection in the Gospel of John. Jesus interacts with three people. Mary Magdalene, we'll look at today. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at Thomas. And then the week after that, we're going to look at Peter and see what are the implications of the resurrection, uh, not just for today because it's Easter, but really what are the implications of the resurrection for the way that we live our lives. Uh, So I invite you to join me as we pray. Uh, heaven, a uh, Father in heaven, uh, we praise you for the story that you've given to us that allows us to see uh, not just the interaction between Jesus and Mary, but allows us to see the comfort that you bring uh, to us in the midst of our grief and that this is a part of what resurrection is all about. And so as we uh, meditate on the story this morning, Would you please uh, allow the words that I share uh, to strike a chord in our hearts that will give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, The story of the resurrection begins in the same way that the story of humanity begins. It begins in a garden. Uh, It begins in a garden where darkness has turned to light, where chaos has given birth to life. Uh, That is what happened at the first creation, and that's what happens at the second new creation when Jesus rises from the grave. So the story is that Mary uh, goes to the tomb on Sunday morning. Uh, It's the wee hours of the morning, depending on which gospel account you read. It's either still dark or the sun has just risen. Uh, And if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts of the story, you know that uh, it is not just Mary Magdalene, but it is uh, several other women, another woman named Mary, a woman named uh, Joanna, that travel with her to the grave. And they're going because they want to finish the preparations and go through the remaining cultural customs with regards to grief. Uh, But John wants us to see the story through Mary's tear-filled eyes. Uh, This is a story of resurrection bringing hope and comfort in the midst of grief. Uh, So Mary, we are told, arrives at the tomb and the tomb is empty. And what happens over the next several verses is this very frenetic, very fast-paced back and forth uh, between the tomb and where the disciples are living. So Mary, we presume, with these other women come from Wherever everybody is staying, they go to the tomb. And then we're told that they run back to where the disciples are in order to tell them the body is missing. And this is really important. If you read verse 2, if you have your Bible open, if you're looking at the bulletin, if you think of verse 2, it's really important that we understand that this is the frame of mind. The frame of mind is they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Something has happened to the body. That's what everybody thinks they're dealing with. So Mary goes and she tells John and Peter, presumably the other disciples, and immediately we're told that John and Peter run to the tomb. Uh, John gets there first, and he stops outside the tomb, and we're told that he looks in. Peter, uh, if you know anything about Peter, this is not a surprise. Peter doesn't wait outside. He barges in. And this is what they see. What they see is that the tomb is empty. Something has happened to the body. 
Now, this is the argument that has been offered up many, many times over history that the body just was simply taken. Uh, The religious leaders, in fact, in Matthew's version of these accounts, uh, tell us that they expected the disciples to be the ones to take the body, which is why they asked uh, the Roman officials to put guards outside the tomb because they wanted to make sure that nobody got any ideas about stealing the body and then coming up with some crazy idea about resurrection. Some have supposed, well, maybe it was the religious leaders themselves who took the body. Maybe it was the Romans who took the body. The common idea back in that day was that it was, in fact, the disciples who took the body. But that doesn't make sense of what happens, right? Because if somebody had the body, all you would need to do is provide the corpse, right? Everybody, people would have known what Jesus looked like. You provide the corpse and say, look, there's no resurrection. There he, here he is rotting. But that's not what happens. What happens is that Peter and John get to the tomb. They look inside and they saw the strips of linen lying there. This is verses six and seven. Uh, It says, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Uh, So it's, if you steal a body, you're not going to unwrap it and then neatly place all the linens back and then take a dead body with you. You're just not going to do that, right? It really, it reads as if simply the body vanished. It just disappeared. It's not there, but the linens are there. Uh, And what we're told is very interesting. What we're told is that John, uh, you can almost hear as you read John's account, uh, as he's recalling back, you can almost hear the wheels turning in his mind. Because we read in verse 8 that it says that John believed. Even though it wasn't completely clear, there's the seed of faith that begins to germinate in his soul as he begins to presumably remember the things that Jesus had been saying to them. But then, uh, Peter and John leave. There's this frenetic back and forth, right? You've got journey to the tomb, running from the tomb, running to the tomb, journey from the tomb. Uh, And then all of a sudden, it shifts. If this was a play uh, that we were seeing, if you were directing a play, then you would have the actors exit stage right. Uh, And then you would have the light shine in and zero in on Mary. uh, And you would see Mary standing there weeping. Uh, That's what we're told happens. We're told is that she stands there. She's by herself. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent down to look into the tomb. So all of a sudden, this back and forth, this really frenetic kind of pace slows way down. Uh, And what we're going to see now is this very intimate, very powerful scene of grief turning to joy. Uh, What we're told is that Mary is weeping. And we know that this is the case, not only because John tells us, but the angels, when they ask Mary, they talk to Mary for the first time. Their question is, why are you crying? Jesus, whom she supposes to be the gardener, when he first talks to her, he asks her, why are you crying? The word that's used here is the same word that's used. Uh, if you know the story, right, there's a scene on the night of Jesus's death where, the night before Jesus's death, where we're told that Peter betrayed Jesus. 
And then after he betrayed Jesus, he went outside the house of the high priest and we're told that he wept. And that's the same word that happens here. So you're talking here about deep grief, deep sadness. The, for the last six weeks, uh, we as a church, if you're a guest here this morning, for the last six weeks, we as a church have been considering together the language of lament. Laments are the prayers that God's people use when they see the reality of a broken world and they are trying to make sense. They're trying to make sense of death. They're trying to make sense of illness. We're trying to make sense of suffering. We're trying to make sense of injustice. And when, we, and when we get at a loss for how to make sense of it, we cry out to God. We bring our prayers to the Lord and we lament and we cry out and we say, Lord, why are you letting these things happen? Uh, if you were here for our Good Friday service, we had a powerful time. It was actually, I mean, honestly, one of the most powerful Good Friday services I've ever been to, where we lamented together. But the thing with grief is that grief begins to give us a story of how events are. Mary's story right now is what? Somebody has taken the body. So she's looking at angels, and she doesn't recognize them as angels. She's going to see Jesus and she won't recognize him as Jesus because there's a narrative that she has bought into, a narrative that says the body has been stolen. And we can't be hard on Mary because we do the same thing, right? We, we, when we deal with our own grief, when we look at injustice, when we look at suffering, when we look at these things that we've been lamenting over the last several weeks, it's easy for us to Uh, be tempted to put God into a little box that says, these are my expectations, and so therefore this is how you must be acting. But the resurrection says that Jesus doesn't fit into our small boxes. The resurrection says that Jesus' power is greater than our imagination. The resurrection tells us that Jesus has life over death. And so Mary's narrative is about to be turned on its head. The angels ask Mary, why are you crying? And Mary's response is, they have taken the Lord. I don't know where they have put him. Right? She's, she's driving in that same sense of grief. And then all of a sudden we're told that she turns around and there's a man standing behind her. Now she thinks that man is the gardener. So she turns to the gardener and she says to the gardener, she says, verses 14 and 15, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She, uh, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Uh, some have supposed, some have argued, some have suggested that Jesus' words here are a kind of rebuke, uh, a why are you crying kind of response. I don't think that's right at all. Uh, what I think is happening here is that Jesus, in a heart filled with compassion, is looking at this woman whom he has delivered from seven demons before, and he sees her grief And he is moved with compassion. And he says, why are you crying? Out of love for her. And and I think this part of this is because culturally, right, grief was very important to the Jewish mindset. 
Uh, grief was really, really a part of their culture in a sense that where when you were grieving the death of somebody, you wouldn't bathe for six or seven days. You wouldn't work. There are many other things that you would refrain from during periods of mourning and that there were certain rituals that you would do to the body of the person that was deceased. That's in fact what they were on their way to do. Right? They're going to the grave to do these rituals. Think of it in our own context, right? Those times where someone's passed away and for whatever reason, uh, the, 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 the bereaved family doesn't have a body, right? And that, that sense of closure that sometimes you can't get because there's no body, it's the same thing, but even probably more so for their culture. Uh, and so Jesus recognizes, I believe, Jesus recognizes what it is that Mary is going through, and he is being compassionate towards her. I think, I don't know this, but as I picture the scene, I've read this passage several times in getting ready for this morning, I think what happens next is that as she is, as she's responding to Jesus and saying, I don't know where the body is, can you please tell me where it is so that I can go to him, that she begins to turn her face uh, back into the tomb. Uh, Because it says that she turns back around when she hears something. What is it that she hears? Mary. I don't know if it was the sound of his voice. I don't know if it was the way in which he said it. I don't know what it is, but at that moment, in that split second between turning her face away and turning her face back, the world's axis tilted. And what had been grief and sorrow turned into joy deeper than we can imagine. And what she does next is that she grabs a hold of him and is holding on for dear life. In that series of laments that we've been meditating on for the last several weeks, Uh, What we have said time and time and time again is that grief, the way that we avoid falling into narratives that say God is small and he fits inside my box and he's not powerful, is that we bring our laments and that part of lament always moves us towards hope. That lament always moves us towards this reality that God's power is greater than we can imagine. That God's life over death power uh, is able to make all things new. And that this is, the, this is the resurrection power that we celebrate this morning. This is the hope that, that in the face of injustice, God will bring justice. That in the face of suffering, God will bring comfort. That in the face of illness, God will bring healing. That in the face of death, he will bring life. That in the face of sin, he will bring forgiveness and reconciliation. This is what the resurrection is all about. This is what we're here to celebrate this morning, and this is our hope. And so this hope rushes over Mary, and it should rush over us this morning. Jesus is comforting her with his presence. And church, uh, Jesus comforts you today with his presence. He comforts you with his presence because Jesus, in the weeks and the days leading up to the resurrection, Jesus kept telling the disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will be with you. 
you know, one of the names of Holy Spirit is? Comforter. Holy Spirit is comforter. I don't think it's a mistake that that is one of the ways in which we are to regard the Spirit of God. His presence with us is a comforting presence in the face of lament. So Mary's holding on for dear life. She's, she's holding on to him and she will not let him go. And then we read this. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and to your God. If you have a, an older translation of the Bible, it probably says, don't touch me. That's not good. That's not a good translation. Um, because what that, what that kind of indicates is like, you know, don't get, you know, I've got this new body, resurrection body, and you can't touch it. You're going to get it dirty. And that's not at all what's happening here. What's happening here is that Jesus is, she's, and you know what? I could be wrong, but I have a feeling that Jesus embraced her back. I have a feeling that they were both hugging each other in that moment. All right, I'll put my money on that. But then Jesus says, all right, Mary, I need you to let me go for a second because I need you to do something for me. I need you to do something for me. I need you to go and tell the disciples. I need you to tell them what's happened. And so Mary is the first person who gets to announce resurrection. All right, Mary is the first person who is sent by the risen and ascended Lord. We're not ascended yet, but by the risen Jesus to go out as one who has been comforted in her grief to comfort others in their grief. Because we know from the other gospel accounts that they were all grieving what had happened. Paul, in his uh, letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter to the church in Corinth, writes this, God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Church, resurrection is God's comfort to you. Resurrection is God's comfort to you in the face of whatever sorrow we face, whether it is suffering, injustice, illness, death, sin, catastrophe, or something else that we didn't cover in that series. Resurrection is God's resounding response to our laments. His voice is not silent. Resurrection is God sending his presence to be with us as comforter so that we, like Mary, was sent to the disciples and like the disciples were sent to the world, we, as those who have been comforted by the words of Jesus' resurrection, can comfort others. I don't know what grief you have this morning. I know some of you, and I know some of your griefs. I know some of the things that are weighing you down. Jesus is alive for some of you, that those griefs have made uh, your faith weak. Jesus embraces you. For some of us, those griefs and laments, those injustices have made faith in Jesus Christ implausible. Jesus reaches out to you. He is risen. And he didn't just rise from the dead in order to like, do a cool parlor trick. He rose from the dead to bring you comfort in the face of the moments of life. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, risen and ascended King,
thank you for your comfort to Mary. And thank you that in comforting Mary, you comfort us as well. Gracious God, we ask that you would please help us this morning as we as we reflect on this story. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are in grief and sadness that you would allow in the midst of their grief for them to experience the hope and joy of resurrection. Uh, Father, for those of us here who um, that's not where we are, that you would allow the hope of resurrection to resonate deeply in our souls as well. Uh, so that we might all uh, see your beauty and your majesty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.